You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, and I uh, just want to read a few verses and then give you a, a simple message tonight. Let me turn this on. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12 is where we're going to be. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 says, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. And, and so just as a reminder, and I'll get to, into this a little bit more, but, but Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to see the need to give an, toward an offering for the church at Jerusalem. Because they're in great need in Jerusalem. So he says in verse 12 again, For the administration of this service, this offering, not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. And for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And that final verse really is what drew me to this text tonight. As I was thinking how to wrap up some of the the preaching I've been doing on um, the season, the holiday, and Christmas and that verse is really, there's so much packed in right there. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And we really could just stop and have a, and have a testimony service. And all of us could just talk about the unspeakable gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we could do our best to describe it and express it. And we really never could. Uh, but there is a way we can express our gift of salvation. It's probably not the way you think, but it's important, and I think we can find that here in the text. So we're going to pray and ask God to bless our time and then get into this this afternoon. Father, we love you, and we, uh, we praise you for the great day you've given us. We thank you for uh, this church family. We thank you for the faithfulness of your people. I personally thank you for the spirit here, and I pray that you'd help us to be alert and awake. I know this schedule is different, and uh, I pray that you just help us to really lock in and, and hear a truth that I think it could be helpful and one that would help us as a church um, to be more like Christ. And so we pray that you bless the reading of your word and help us as we're in our time together in your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Don't you love unexpected gifts? Um, I, I personally enjoy an unexpected gift from time to time and... Uh, I got an unexpected gift this year, I, I, and I don't want to embarrass him, but um, a few weeks ago, um, Preston Everett and I were talking, and I was, I was having jacket envy, because Preston has one of those Milwaukee jackets that you plug in, and you just push a button when you want to like flex, fashionably flex in front of people, you know, you just push a button that lights up, and then they know you've got one of those heated jackets on. And so I was talking to him about it. I wasn't dropping any hints. 
I wasn't implying anything at all. And, uh, and he found a way to buy me one of those jackets and get it to me. So he showed up in my, in my office, uh, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend, and, and it was just, it was a blessing to me. You know, he just said, thank you for being our pastor, and just wanted to give you this jacket. You look cold, I guess. And I'm like, of all the people in all the lines of work at Eastside, I'm probably the one that needs this jacket the least, but I will take it. And so I put it on, and I'm, it is nice. I mean, literally, you just put a battery in the pocket, and you push a button up front, it lights up, and then suddenly you feel the warmth in the South Dakota winters emanating from your jacket. It is amazing. I don't know how you wash it yet, but, but uh, I have enjoyed it very much. You know, there's sometimes you just receive a gift that leaves you speechless. I didn't know what to say. And uh, I, I was just so unexpected. It was so thoughtful. It was so above and beyond that you just don't have words. And now, admittedly, it's possible to receive a gift that leaves you speechless for the wrong reasons, too. Um, like, for instance, we had the youth Christmas party at our house a couple of Saturdays or Fridays ago or Saturdays ago or whatever it was. And we ended up with this unsettling Bing Crosby animated figure that when you push a button, it sings White Christmas to you. And it's terrifying, okay? So some gifts leave you a little speechless for the wrong reason. That's the wrong reason. But I'm talking about a great gift, a surprising gift, a thoughtful gift, a gift that goes above and beyond. And sometimes you're just left with no words. And Paul talks about the, the gift that really is beyond any gift we've ever experienced, that we've ever received, anything you can think of, the best gift you've ever gotten, and we have a better gift in Jesus Christ. And so just to remind you of the, of the context here, in 2 Corinthians 8 9, Paul is dealing with the subject of receiving the offering for the church at Jerusalem. There was great poverty in Jerusalem at this time. And in Acts 11, we, we're not going to look there, but Paul and Barnabas took an offering to, the, to give to the church in Jerusalem because there was a famine and it led to many in Judea being poor and in great need. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul wrote, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which, which are at Jerusalem. And so he talks about this offering that, that he was asking the church at Corinth and other churches to get involved in so that they could be a blessing to the church at Jerusalem. Uh, if you look back one chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of, of Macedonia. It is, so it was a common practice for churches in other places uh, to give to the need of Jerusalem. So Macedonia includes cities like Philippi and, Achaia and Thessalonica. And there were other churches, Gentile churches across the region that were taking up these offerings and, and they were looking to give and be a blessing. But it wasn't easy for everyone to give. Look at chapter 8 verse 2. It says how that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. So Paul even says right here, he says it's not like they were giving out of abundance of their pocketbooks. They were giving out of their own affliction. They didn't have money. They were poor. They, and yet they, they loved so much and they had so much joy in giving that they were willing to give and be a blessing even if it meant great sacrifices for them. 
So Paul is dealing with the idea of receiving money from the church at Corinth or to give to the church at Jerusalem. But it wasn't, so he was saying, I want, we're trying to raise money. I want you to consider giving, but it's not going to be for you. It's for someone else. And he challenges them to give for the needs outside of their own ministry. It very much like we give to missions here at Eastside. We give not because of our own gain, but we, we raise money. We had the missions revival. We have a pledge, and that faith promise commitment allows us to give to needs outside of our walls. It's, it's a biblical pattern, by the way. So Paul gives them plenty of motivation to be givers, and he starts by giving them benefits. He says, here's some benefits of being a giver. See, most people want to hold on to what they have, but in God's economy, givers get, get, get blessed in return. And that's an amazing thought, too, is that when we give, we don't just lose, we gain. And so Paul is giving them motivations to be a giver. And, and he gives them the first set of motivations to be a giver, he says, is there are benefits to being a giver. For instance, benefit number one is that you get to be a blessing to somebody. Look at verse 12. Again, it says in the first part, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints. So the administration, that's a word you and I understand, but it's probably not exactly what, what we would understand when you think about it in the context of God's word. This word administration comes from the same Greek root from which we get diakonos, which is the word from which we get the word deacon. And so a deacon is a servant. So this is the work, administration, is the work of someone who sacrifices to meet the needs of other people. So for the administration of this service, service is simply a ministry that helps those in need. So Paul is saying here the sacrificial carrying out of this ministry takes care of the needs of the saints. And he's just talking about the, the sacrificial giving, the, the, the ministry of giving to meet other people's needs. You know, one benefit, though, of being a giver is that other needs, others' needs are met. God rarely meets our needs out of thin air. Have you ever noticed that? How we, we sometimes think, well, you know, God just provided, but very often God provides by using people to provide. And I think about the, the, the little boy with his five loaves and his two fishes. You know, could Jesus Christ have looked at the 5,000 and said, you know what, I need enough food for them, and then just snapped his finger or spoke a word, and out of thin air, could he have had enough food for 5,000? Absolutely, he could have. And he could have just spoken it, and it could have happened. And yet he looked over, and he saw a little boy with five loaves and two fishes, and he chose to use that little boy and the material that he already had to multiply it and be a blessing to those 5,000 plus the, the, the women and the children. See, the truth is God's plan to bless other people usually comes from people. And we forget about that sometimes. And we're thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm going to pray that God provides for their needs. And, and sometimes we miss the fact that God may want us to be involved in helping provide for somebody's needs. See, that's why it's so important to obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit of God. God may want you to bless someone. He may, may want to use you to be a blessing. And the truth is, sometimes we kind of run from that. But when we run from it, we miss the blessing too. See, this is a major benefit of being a giver is that God blesses people through givers. 
it's like opening Christmas presents this week. You know, honestly, yesterday I wasn't all that interested in my own presents. I mean, I had some and I'm thankful for what I got, but I was much more in, interested and I was much, I, I enjoyed it much more to just sit there and watch everyone else open what they were getting. You know, there's a transition that takes place when, when you're, you no longer, you know, are very excited about all the toys and all this stuff and you're just excited to watch. And I think, you know, it takes place around the age of like 40 or something like that, you know. <laughs> Where, you know, the, the toys aren't as interesting anymore. No, but it, when you start having children, I'm, it changes your perspective on, on Christmas. Because I, I was sitting there watching Jace open present, you know, these presents from people. And, and I thought there were a few presents I thought his little heart is not going to take it. He was so excited about what he got from, from grandpa and grandma or, or from his parents or from his sisters. He was just so excited and he was, he was just so into it. And I loved watching it. I loved watching Lacey every time she would open something from someone. She would get up, she'd put her gift down and she would go over every time and, and give whoever gave it to her, just give him a big hug. You know, just to express her gratitude. And, and you know, sometimes I, I want, you know, we forget that maybe sometimes uh, God wants us to just be a giver. It's enjoyable to, to be a giver. We, we sometimes think that, that we lose being a giver, but you don't. And I wonder how many blessings have been missed because I wasn't sensitive enough to give. I wonder how many times that somebody's need went unmet and God was prompting me in my, with my resources or my time to be a giver and I wasn't looking for the opportunity. You know, we've been blessed when others have given to us and we should be more aware of the fact that God may want to use us to do the same. And so this is a benefit of being a giver is that other people's needs are met, but there are other, there are other benefits too, even bigger benefits. Another benefit of being a, a giver is that God receives the thanks that he deserves. Look at verse 12 again, for the administration of the service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. The result of people receiving blessings is a heart of thanksgiving to God. You know, the more that you get, the more grateful you should be. And that's why we try, with our kids, to, we try to encourage and train our children to complete the act of being blessed. By every time that you are blessed or you receive, that you stop and you say thank you. And they're not perfect about it and they'll miss it sometimes. But listen, that's a very important training, uh, a training thought or training philosophy with our children is that if there's an act of being blessed, the act is not over until gratitude is given. You should try, parents, to train your children that same way. Here's why it's important. Because the more you receive, the more likely you are to take it for granted. We live in a culture of abundance. I mean, just, just watch this week. Watch how many boxes are placed on the curb in front of the houses on your street. Watch how many trash bags full of trash from presents being opened are put out on the curb. Uh, watch how much food is wasted because we have a culture of abundance and overabundance. And I believe probably no culture has ever had more. And yet no culture has ever been more unthankful. And before you think, well, that's not a big deal. You know, being unthankful. You know, Romans 1 talks about the mindsets of those that turn to idolatry and sexual immorality and, and uh, homosexuality. And it says they became that way because they knew God but glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. 
So before we think that being ungrateful is no big deal, gratitude has a way of helping us remain who we're supposed to be before God and humble before God. Without it, literally there's no end to the vile and sinful corruption we're, on, we're capable of and unthankfulness has a, has a hand in that. One benefit of giving and meeting the needs of others is that if it's done correctly for the right reasons, God receives the thanks. Did you stop? I'll just ask you this. Did you stop yesterday? I mean, I'm sure most of us stopped and said thank you for the gifts that we received. But did you stop and thank God for the gifts that you received? Because James 1 says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from, cometh down, or cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Every good gift that we've ever received... It has come from God and blessings, even if they come through other people, they begin with God. We are simply conduit, you know, receiving blessings from God and then pouring it out to the people around us. But all the good things start with God. You know, there are some benefits to being a giver that you have a, you're a blessing to people and you can, bring, you can abound the thanksgiving to God. But there's another benefit. The benefit of being a giver, number three, is that it's proof of change. It's proof of change. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they, the church of Jerusalem, glorify God for your professed subjection under the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. We start to get into a little bit more depth here. See, you can tell somebody's maturity level based on how much they are willing to give. If you've ever noticed... When children are little, they're not all that interested in sharing. If you've ever worked in the nursery, you've seen that firsthand. Now, sharing is something you have to learn to do. It comes with maturity. Giving is not something that's natural to the little ones. But the older that we get, the more mature that they get. Uh, I'm telling you, I've, I've seen little ones, little children that are trained to be givers. And I'm telling you, it's a blessing to watch them give. And you can train your children to be givers, by the way. And they love to be givers, but it doesn't come naturally for them. And honestly, it doesn't come very naturally for us either sometimes. But, but the point that Paul is making here, it, he says, whilst by the experiment of this ministration, I love this terminology. It sounds like a, a technical manual or something. He says, whilst by the experiment of this ministration... And see, experiment is testing or approving. So you experiment in order to come to some conclusion, right? Well, he says that the experiment or the testing of this ministration, it's the same Greek word as the word from which we get deacon. It's the same word as administration. And again, it means the sacrificial service of someone trying to meet the needs of other people. So here's what Paul is saying right here in verse 13. He says, when the church at Jerusalem sees the proof of your love and sacrifice, they're going to glorify God for that. Here's why. Because they will know that God has done a work in your life. They'll know that, that you have been obedient to the gospel. The idea is that Jerusalem could look at the giving of the church at, at Corinth and say the gospel has changed them. The gospel has done a work in them. And so the church of Jerusalem wasn't just going to be thinking, okay, pay attention here, okay? I know we're drifting a little bit. Let, we'll get to the point in just a minute. The church of Jerusalem wasn't just going to be thanking God and glorifying him because they'd received a gift. 
Now, you know, if, if someone says thank you for the gift, there are some times where you know they're just thankful they got something. And that's, a, okay, that's fine. But, but you also, there will be times where when, when someone receives a gift, it's not just about the gift, it's about the fact that that person would give them a gift. That that person would do something so thoughtful. I wasn't honestly, when I got the Milwaukee jacket, I wasn't just thankful that I got the jacket. I was thankful that, that, that somebody had allowed the Lord to do a work in their heart to the point that they would be that thoughtful. It wasn't about a jacket. It was about the fact that some, I was seeing in someone else the love of Jesus Christ. The work of the gospel of Jesus in somebody's life was evident by what they were willing to give. And, the, and so the opposite, though, is true. If a person doesn't have a liberal, generous heart to share and bless people, the assumption can be made that the gospel hasn't deeply impacted their lives. And, you, and I'm not making assumptions. The church at Jerusalem was making an assumption. They were saying, if the church at Corinth is going to be this generous and be this liberal with their giving, only the gospel could do that for somebody. Only Jesus could make that kind of a difference in their lives. Listen, the generosity of your heart is directly connected to the level of transformation that Christ has accomplished in your life. If you're a Scrooge, when it comes to blessing other people, an assumption can be made about how much transforming work God has done in your life. I recently, and I'm using all kinds of personal examples today, but, you know, Audrey has recently been working at Chick-fil-A, and, and our, Olivia got a job over Christmas break there, too, and, and her, her boss asked her if it's a competition between who, which sister can work the hardest, and, and Olivia very humbly said, absolutely, it's a competition, so <laughs> get ready. But, you know, Audrey, Audrey's a hard worker. And every time we go in, we get reports from people saying that she worked, she works hard, she works diligently, and I've watched her, and she does. I believe it. You know what? As a dad, that thrills me that she's a hard worker. I know she's not going to talk to me for a week after this, but <laughs> you know, as a dad, it thrills me. Not just because she's making money, but because she's matured to the point that she's reflecting the kind of spirit. A Christian young lady ought to reflect when they have a job. Yeah. They ought to work hard. And they ought to have a spirit of humility and a spirit of approachability. And they ought to have a spirit uh, that, that says, I'm going to work as hard as I can because it's right. Not just because my boss is watching. And not just because you know I'm going to get in trouble. No, but because it's right for me to work like this. You see, for me, it's not about the money that she's making... Although the fact that she's paying for her own gas and things, I'm for that, okay? That's fine with me. No, it's not just about the money, it's about the change. It's about the fact that I see Jesus Christ changing her to the point where there's a mature mindset toward things like her job. It's not about the money, it's about the fact that, that a giving spirit in, to the church at Jerusalem, it's about the fact that a giving spirit um, would... would uh, would prove that Christ is working in the lives of the church at Corinth. That's why Paul says the church at Jerusalem is going to be excited. He says, because they will know that the gospel has done its work in you. The work of Christ has bonds us together, and not just because of what we get, but because we see maturity. I'm telling you, it is something else when you know that God has done a work in somebody's life and you start to see it lived out in their lives. 
So there's benefits to being a giver. Number four is the prayer of others. And I'm not going to spend much time on this one. But it says, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, verse 14, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. When you give, you know one benefit you get is that the people you give to, toward, if they're godly, you're going to get their prayers in return. When you give to other people, you, I mean, I'm telling you, we, over, we underestimate how much we need prayer. And I'm not talking about peripheral, shallow, flippant prayer. Or I'm talking about people seeking God on my behalf. And on your behalf. So what Paul is saying, okay, so what's, what's going on here? Well, the blood, he's saying that, we sh- that you should be givers to the church of Corinth. And you, because there are benefits of it. In that you can be a blessing to other people. You can increase the thanks that, that people give to God. And you can improve that change has taken place in your life. And the fourth benefit is that you can enjoy the benefit of prayer in return. And you could say, well, that's pretty simple. I mean, that makes me want to be a giver. I, I want to be a giver if I get those kind of benefits. If I can be a blessing and, and if I can increase the, the thanksgiving God gets. And, and if I can prove that I've been changed, the gospel's working. And if I can receive prayer in return, I will do that. I mean, I will be a giver if I get those kind of benefits. But Paul doesn't close with that. Paul closes with something even deeper. See, he he closes the chapter with a verse that honestly led me to this passage today, but it almost seems a little bit out of place. Look at verse 15. He says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Well, well, what's happening? What's he doing? Well, what I believe he's doing is he spent two chapters trying to convince the church at Corinth to give for the sake of those in need. He has spent two chapters trying to get them on board to be a blessing and, and to give to those who are in a worse position than them. And he has clearly laid out in no uncertain terms what it should look like. And you might think that he might close the chapter and he might say, okay, now go do it right now. Okay, okay get out your checkbook and write the checkbook. Okay, Church of Corinth, do it right now. Okay, I'm going to watch you do this. I've given you all the reasons. Now it's time to give. And he, it's like, I'm going to stand over your shoulder. I'm going to make sure you write the check. I'm going to make sure you put the money in the mail. I'm going to make sure that you pull out your, your Apple Pay app right now. And that you send it to the Church of Jerusalem. Do it. I'm going to watch you. You know, sometimes we can do that when we're trying to get people to do something. We're like, okay, do it right now. Right now. D- just take care of it right this minute. Well, that's not Paul's method of motivation. The first motivation was there are benefits to being a giver. But the second and primary motivation to being a giver is not that, you, not that the things that you might receive from it and benefit from it, but the fact that you've already benefited from someone else who is a giver in your life. See, the greatest motivation, if we never got another benefit in return, the greatest motivation we could ever have to being a giver is that we've been recipients. That we have received something that no one could describe or explain. You couldn't put it into words. Listen, what we've received in Christ is beyond words. It's unspeakable. It's indescribable. Eternal life. Try to to describe what that means to somebody. Eternal security. Try to help somebody understand how that works and what it means. A relationship with the Holy God through his sinless son. Try explaining that to somebody who who doesn't know about it. 
Forgiveness, try to put that into words. Peace without turmoil, try, I mean, try to explain that to people that are at turmoil, in turmoil. Uh, heaven instead of hell, try to explain that to people. You know, listen, when I consider that I as a guilty sinner could enjoy benefits like that from a sinless holy God, it's unspeakable. I mean, it's better than any gift that I've ever found under any tree. And, I mean, no offense, Preston, it's better than a Milwaukee jacket. The cross wins. Jesus is better than any gift I've ever had. But here's the connection that Paul is trying to make. The gift of salvation is indescribable and unspeakable. It's impossible to fathom. It's inconceivable. And the Corinthians had benefited from it greatly. But Paul says salvation is unspeakable. You can't even describe the gift. And there's nothing you can do to express it verbally. But there is a way you can express it with your actions. See, salvation may be indescribable, but it's not unlivable. See, meaning, see, that's Paul's message here, is that you've received a gift you can't express verbally, but it is possible to express the gift you've received with your life. With you turning around and being a giver to someone else. How? While being a giver, sacrificially seeking to meet the needs of other people. Noticing when somebody, and listen, this is important, church. We're so busy with our, with our own activity and with our own responsibilities. But listen, some, we need to sometimes just stop and notice that somebody looks like they need something. Just the look on somebody's face, just the, just the countenance sometimes. How often do you stop and just talk to somebody that looks like they need a listening ear? Just noticing when someone's struggling and reaching out or not looking the other way when you know somebody could use your help. You know, how, how we, we need to be a giver by refusing to pass up opportunities to be a blessing when something comes along, by being willing to let go of your time, by being willing to let go of your resources or your finances to be a help. I mean, I was, I was reminded of this kind of mindset even just this week on, on Tuesday night when... When I showed up at Sherilyn's house to help her move, and, and there were at least 20 other people there. I mean, people came in, in droves, people that didn't even raise their hand, just showed up to, to be a help. And, and most of the time we were standing around because um, there, was, you know, there wasn't enough work for everybody that was there. And I was just reminding, you know, this is a point. This is the point that Paul is making, is that you've received a gift. You've been blessed, and it's unspeakable, the gift that you've received. And you can't express it with your words, but you can live it with your life. Just think about any gift beyond your comprehension. I mean, I was just, I know this is silly, but I was just trying to think of something out, out of the box here. So, so I had my wife make one more, as if she hasn't already wrapped enough presents. I had to wrap one more. And let's just say that this gift represents um, a revolutionary, I don't know why I put this down, okay? It's just what popped in my head. It, this, inside this box is a leaf raking system for your house. Yeah, that's crazy, I know. But when I was raking my leaves this fall, I really wanted a special gift that would take care of them for me. 
So inside this box is this device that you set in your yard, like a Roomba or something like that. How has nobody invented this already? I don't know. And it, and it just goes around when there's leaves on the ground, and it picks up the leaves, and it discards them. You say, where? Well, I mean, I'm not, it doesn't, that's, there's, it's a work in progress, okay? I don't know. But let's just say that somebody gives this to you, and it costs a, a, a large amount of money. And so you receive this gift, and you're like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. This is, I mean, this is way more than what I, what I was expecting, but, but thank you. And so you, you take this gift, and, and you're, you're walking you know, out with it, and someone's like, well, what is that? And well, it's like this new revolutionary thing that I guess it cleans up the leaves in your yards, and it costs thousands of dollars. And, and they say, well, how does it work? And you say, I, I don't know. And you say, well, I mean, what does it do? And you say, it get, gets rid of the leaves. And they say, well, what does it do with the leaves? And you're like, I, I have no idea. You say, well, but how does it work? What literally happens? And he's saying, I don't know. I just know that when I put it in my yard and I go back out, the leaves are gone. I, don't, I can't explain it. I can't figure it out. But you know what? I can enjoy it. I can appreciate it. I can be thankful for it. And I can be glad that someone would have enough thought to get this for me and sacrifice like that for me. And you know, and I know that's just a silly illustration, but it really does illustrate salvation. Because we have this gift. And if someone was to say, Okay, the gift of salvation. Explain it. I'll be like, well, I, I, I know what has to happen. I mean, I know I, you have to know that you're a sinner. I know that, uh, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you have, to, uh, you have to believe that his payment's the only payment good enough. And you have to come to the end of yourself and look to him and just fully trust him as the only way, the truth, and the life. And he saves you. And they say, oh, okay, fine, but How? Say, like, I, I don't know. And they say, okay, well, explain literally. Explain what happens. Say, I don't know if I can. I, I can't put it into words. They say, well, write it out or draw it. Say, like, I, I can't draw and I don't even know what to say. It's an, in, it is, it's an unspeakable gift. Meaning if someone asked you to nail down, here's what salvation is. You can talk about the effects of salvation. You can enjoy it. You can appreciate it. You can be thankful for it. But if someone was to ask me how to describe it, I'm not really sure I could do justice. It's an unspeakable gift. Verbally, I can't express it. But you know what Paul says? Even though it's it's indescribable, even though it's unspeakable, it's not unlivable. Meaning, I may not ever be able to put it into words, but I can put it into action. And here's what the action is. God has given me an unspeakable gift, and I've gotten to benefit from it, and I'm thankful for it. And I don't really know what to do, because I can't really like, explain exactly how it works. But one thing I can do is this. 
I can go find the person that looks like they need salvation the most, the most lost looking person in the whole room. I can find that person and I, I can, sorry, you were sitting here. And I may not be able to explain exactly how salvation works, but I can live it and give it. Take it. Yeah, that's simple. You don't want it? Okay, all right. But you know, so you have a gift that's unspeakable. You have a gift that you can't really put into words, but you can put it into action. You know how? You can say, I've received more than I could ever possibly deserve. And I don't know exactly how it works, but I'm going to live my life trying to sacrificially meet the needs of other people in the same way that God has met my needs. And I can, instead of being self-focused and selfish and inward-focused and, and all about me, I can start looking around at other people around me in my life and I can say, you know, I can't really explain everything. But I, I think God could use me to help meet their need. You may look at your neighbor and say, you know, I don't know exactly how salvation works. I mean, I know it works. I don't know, but I don't know exactly how Jesus redeemed me. I don't know all the details. And I mean, it's beyond me. I mean, Paul says it's an unspeakable gift. But I can, though, be a great neighbor. And I can show Christ to the people that live in my neighborhood that may not know him. See, I, I can't really explain everything. I can't, my mind doesn't go that deep or completely understand it. But I can love my fellow church members and, and meet their needs when they need, when they need something. And I, I can't explain God's love, but I can try to sacrificially serve like Jesus served. Listen, there's no way that we could express salvation in words. We could try, but it's unspeakable. But we can express God's love with our lives. Have you ever received a gift for which you had no words? What do you do? Well, sometimes you cry. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to cry. Or you might hug. Or you might say thank you, even though it doesn't do it justice. You may not be able to say it in words, but you feel compelled to express your gratitude in some way. And listen, we've been given an unspeakable gift and you may not be able to express it in words but it ought to be so tangible and so compelling to you that you feel that you have to express it the best you can and you can't repay God fully because then you could earn your salvation and that's not possible but you can express your gratitude for this unspeakable gift by sacrificially giving to help take care of the needs of other people you know we're so selfish we're so inward, we're, we're such hoarders of spiritual resources. And you know that's ungodly. Because Jesus Christ in Philippians 2, it says he was sitting at the right hand of God, of God, his Father. And it says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And you know what that literally means? It means that Jesus Christ didn't look at his position at the right hand of his Father and think that that was something he was going to seize or hold on to or grasp. Meaning, he thought it not robbery. He didn't look at his position with God and say, I'm not letting this go. No, he looked at his position next to his father and said, I'd be willing 
to let this go. If it means that I could meet the needs of a world full of sinners. So he gave up the most precious seat next to his own father and came in the form of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, so that our needs can be met. But sometimes, you know, we have a resource or we have time or we have some kind of, uh, uh, we've got something to offer and we see somebody else in need and we, we th- we, and we treat it like it's something to grasp. I'm not letting go of my time. I've, got, I've only got one free night this week. I'm not going to let go of that. And yet you serve a God, you've benefited from a God who gave up everything so you could be saved. So I think it's time for us to think like Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, same passage. And to, and to be willing as a church, as individuals, rather than the American way, which right now the American way is, no, this is mine. And, and I, you know, we're getting inward. We're kind of getting more to ourselves and we're not reaching out. We're, you know, I mean, we're, we're not front porch people anymore. We're back porch people. Meaning we're not really out just on the front porch just looking for somebody to come by and talk to. We're in the backyards with the fence. And it's time for God's people maybe to be a little bit more like Christ. And say, if I've received a great gift, it's time for me to be a giver. It's, I can't express it in words, but I'm telling you, I think I can express it with my life. With my actions. With my works. With my spirit. To be selfless givers is to be like Christ. To be hoarders of our resources is honestly, it's ungodly. I'm just saying this year at Christmas, maybe we should let the greatest gift we've ever received change the way we live with other people. And say, you know what, if I've received a gift that great, for me to hold on to all the things that I have and not care about blessing somebody else... Boy, that is a spirit of of ungodliness that I need to let go of this Christmas season. Okay, have you received a great gift of salvation? Have you? So let's, it's time as God's people to say, I may not be able to put it in words, but I can put it into action. And the way that God has given to me, I'm going to make this next year be the kind of year that I give to other people. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. And more selfless. Less hoarders of our resources and time and more just absolute sacrificial givers. I'm telling you, this community needs to see Christ in action. And where is he going to get it except through a church like Eastside? Maybe it's time for us to change our focus and say, you know what? I've received a lot. It's time for me to give in return. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have a verse of invitation. If the word's spoken, let's let's respond. And let's make a, a commitment tonight to not take a gift so unspeakable and just sit on it. But say, you know what, it's unspeakable. I can't put it in words, but I want to put it in actions. Maybe you have a neighbor and you know they need something. And maybe God's put you next to them so that you can meet that need. 
Maybe you have a coworker at your place of employment and you know they need to, to, they need to see Christ in somebody and, and you haven't been very bold about it and it's time for you to do that. Maybe it's somebody in your school, young people, and you know that somebody has a need and God has put you in their path to maybe meet it, but you've been pretty selfish with your resources. Maybe it's an employee, maybe it's a fellow employee, maybe it's, a, it's an employer, maybe it's somebody at the gas station that you go to regularly. Listen, if you've received a great gift and you've benefited from a great gift, why wouldn't you in return want to give so that someone else can enjoy the kind of blessings you've had? Let's pray and ask God to bless our invitation and if the Lord's spoken, why don't you take a moment to respond?